Amen. Great song. Thank you, folks. Let's turn to first, or 2 Timothy chapter 9 tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I just told you I've been reading through 2 Timothy over and over, and the Lord just gives me some things from it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. And um, many of you were wondering if my wife would come back with me, but we were able to get her back. And uh, I thought she might cause a scene at the border, so she'd have to stay down there. But we got her back, and uh, we're thankful we didn't have to say goodbye for long, and Emily is coming up tonight with Theo for a visit. So they get done church around 3 in the afternoon, so they're on the road right now and, and heading up to see us, and so praise the Lord. And they're coming up because somebody has a special birthday this week, and I won't tell you how old she is, but it's a big one. And uh, 50, right? Is that right? 50 this year? And, oh, I guess I'll let it slip. Second Timothy chapter 2. And uh, I'm a little concerned you can pray with me. I don't think God would do this to me, but my son-in-law is uh, from New York. So that means he's a Yankees fan. I don't think God would give me a grandson that was a Yankees fan. I just can't see that. But would you pray about that? And, and Anita's going to help me with the Maple Leafs, and we're going to get the boys straightened around before he becomes a Rangers fan, too. That'd be terrible. And then Ohio, he's from Ohio, so he's a Buckeye. And he's just going to be confused, the little guy. So we need grandpa's influence. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at, I don't know if I'll get through the whole chapter, but we're going to look at the whole chapter tonight, kind of tonight and draw some principles from it based on the very first verse. All right? The Bible says in verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We'll just read that verse for now. We'll pray, and then we'll work our way through the chapter. If we don't get all the way through, that's fine. We'll settle on the first point, and we'll see if we get to the others or not. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you and praise you for all that you've done for us, and we rejoice. Uh, Lord, we hear that song that was just saying what he's done. Oh, glory and honor to the Son. Father, we can't praise you enough for all that you've done and all the many blessings that you've given us. Lord, we do pray that you'd help us now. Lord, the Spirit of God would guide us and teach us, strengthen us in your word. And Lord, we desperately need you tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word grace, which we know means undeserved favor, receiving what I do not deserve, Mercy is withholding what I do deserve. But grace has given me everything. I, eternal life is grace. Salvation through Christ is grace. The fact that I'm not annihilated in hell, that's both grace and mercy, amen? A heavenly home is God's grace towards me. And when I think of the word grace, I think of something that is gentle, Something that kind of maybe comes over us like a wave. We, we hear that word grace. We sing the songs, amazing grace. You never hear a song about grace that's kind of upbeat or fast or maybe have a, a rockier rhythm to it. Never. Songs about grace are always sweet and quiet. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we get that idea. When, when I read this verse, though, it says, be strong in the, uh, sorry, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he's implying that grace gives us strength. I, I don't often think about grace in those, those terms. But if I think about it in the word of God, there's a lot of things that the Bible says about God's grace. And so let me list a few of those for you tonight. We learn in the word of God, it is a sustaining grace. God's grace sustains us. Psalm 55 says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. 
And he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. We have the grace of God that sustains us. It is a saving grace. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We learn in the word of God, it is a sufficient grace. You all know that verse, 2 Corinthians 12.9. And he saith unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. We know it is a settling grace. First Peter chapter 5 says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. It is a serving grace. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We know also from the word of God, it is a singing grace. In other words, it gives joy. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing you one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It is a seasoning grace. In other words, uh, the ability, giving us the ability to show grace to others. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And then our passage tonight, of course, says it is a strengthening grace. The Bible says uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Certainly, I could go on a lot more tonight, but there's a lot of things that grace builds in our lives. That's all because of God. So, well, you know, some of those things I might have had before I was saved. I was genuinely a kind person to others, and I, I tried to encourage others. But let me say this, you're better at it now. With the Spirit of God, not only could you encourage um, perhaps somebody in the world, but now you can exhort the brethren. You can help other children of God. God's grace has enabled you. It has helped you. It is growing you day by day. <coughs> so I want you to notice in this passage today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, as, as the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he calls him my son, and he says, be strong, that is in the grace, be strong in grace in Christ Jesus. We understand this. There are some areas he wants him to be strong in. There are some areas that he's going to have to have strength, and he's going to need God's grace to accomplish it. And so I want to look at those three things tonight. First of all, we're going to see, and I'll give you all three just in case we don't get through it all tonight. But first of all, I want you to notice, we need God to give us strength to be stewards of the gospel. To be stewards of the gospel. Now we'll come back to that in just a moment, and we'll read some scripture. Secondly, we need God to give us grace and strength to be soldiers of the gospel. We'll see that in this passage. And finally, God's grace gives us strength to be set apart for the gospel. And so let's look at those three things tonight. First of all, God gives us the strength to be stewards of the gospel. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2 with me. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I'll just stop there for a moment. He said, now Paul is telling Timothy, the things that you have heard of me, I want you to teach the faithful men. What are those things that Timothy has heard of Paul? 
We're not talking about news that has come from afar. We are talking about the epistles of, our, of the word of God. Those things that Paul has written down on paper. We have the gospels of Jesus Christ, but we also have the church epistles, the pastoral epistles, those things that Paul has written to help us understand the New Testament church age. And he's committing those things to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, take those scriptures, take those letters, those things that you have learned of me, and I want you to commit them to faithful men that they may teach others also. And I've called it this, if we are going to be proper stewards of the gospel, we must have a generational approach. Now let me say what I mean by that. Even 2,000 years ago, or maybe 2,100 years ago when Paul was writing, we understand this he was already concerned about the next generation. Paul was already wondering, what's going to happen when these first generation Christians start to die? What's going to happen to the church when the, these first group of believers, those who were willing to stand for Jesus Christ and those who had heard the testimony directly from the apostles and those who perhaps sat at the feet of the apostles, some of those who even knew Jesus Christ personally, what happens when they begin to die off the scene and, and, and that, that willingness to die for the gospel and that willingness to stand for Christ and that willingness to preach the word of God no matter what the cost, when they begin to go, what is going to happen? And so Paul says, we must have a generational approach. He says, I want you to commit it to faithful men who will teach others also. I think that's where we're at today. I believe with all my heart that there will always be a remnant of believers that will pass from age to age. But let me ask you this. I had this thought the other day. We were down in Canton, Ohio with our daughter and we were driving through an area, and on the way home, we, there's a lot of country areas you go through, especially between Fort Erie and here. We came Region Road 3 all the way home, and so we were just cutting through there, and we saw all these little churches yesterday, didn't we? All these buildings that were 120, 130, 140 years old. Most of them were houses. You know what I'm talking about? You can go out in the countryside, and you can find an old Methodist church and it'll be a house. It'll be boarded up. They're all about the same. They'd seat about 100, 115 people. You know what I mean? They had the stained glass windows, and now they've been changed, and they've put in different types of windows in there. And you can see there's a car parked there, and there's bicycles in the yard, and you think, what a shame. What a shame. Let me ask you this. Can anybody name a church that's 200 years old? Can you name a church that's 200 years old? Maybe you've traveled, maybe you've come, you've come across one. Boston Baptist. Boston Baptist? Not very many, though, are there? 2004 is 200 years old. But there's not very many of them. Most churches don't survive that long. We must have a generational approach. We talk about reaching people, but we have to reach the next generation. I'm not, I'm not against. I was one of the couple that came in that Doreen invited. They were retirees. I'm so thankful they came. But we need young families. Let me be honest. We need folks like you 40 years ago. I look around the room and I see people that 40 years ago were driving buses and teaching Sunday school and doing the visitation of the church. We need those families. But we don't get those families. Listen, we don't get those families unless you... Go and reach them. 
we cannot have just this bi-generational approach. We must have a generational approach. We can't just be reaching out to people in our peer group. We must be reaching down. We must be going after younger families. Paul was concerned about that all those years ago, some 1,900 years ago, as he writes to Timothy from a Roman prison. Timothy, find some men who are willing to go and reach the next generation. Those who will teach others also. This must be perpetuated. We must be stewards of the gospel with a generational approach. And then secondly, we must have a gospel approach. He said, well, that, that just goes without saying. I wish it did. I, I wish that we knew that we could walk into any church in, in North America and know that they will open the Bible and faithfully preach the word of God. I wish that were true. I wish I know that, that in even good, well-meaning, fundamental Baptist churches that, that, that every single time they're going to open the word of God and they're not going to bother with personal opinion, but they're going to preach the Holy Bible. That they're not going to be caught up in the traditions of men, but they're going to preach the very precepts of a holy God. I wish I could say that. But look what Paul says as we look down in this passage tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 2, but look at verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words with no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. He says, instead of that, here's what you need to do. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But then he goes back and he says it again. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat up thus a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection has passed already and overthrow the faith of some. You see, why do people get caught up in false doctrines? Because they're not in a place that is faithfully, rightly dividing the word of God. We need the Bible. I'm, I'm telling you, we hear so many opinions today. So many uh, ideas, and we see in the word of God that even in those days it was a problem. He says, he says, listen, don't get caught up in words with no profit to the subverting of the hearers. That means that is undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we must be faithful to the word of God. You know, if somebody were to say to me, what kind of church should I look for? I'm, I'm moving to this town. What I'd say a Bible-preaching church. And they said, well, don't you mean a, a Baptist church? Listen, I, I believe, I'm a, I'm a Baptist by conviction. I believe I'm a Baptist because I believe it lines up as closely to the Bible as we possibly can. I, I believe in the fundamentals of the Baptist doctrine. I believe that because I believe the Bible. But let me say this. I've been in Baptist churches that don't preach the Bible. We are biblicists before we are Baptists. Don't ever forget that. The Bible is more important than the Baptist. Let's not ever forget that. I guarantee, I promise you, we are going to get to heaven one day and we're going to say, well, here's my Baptist doctrine, Lord, and he's going to open the Bible and say, yeah, but you were wrong right there. And this is right every time. I mean, I like to think we got it all figured out, but I know there's somewhere we're wrong. Somewhere where we're mistaken. I'm so glad that we got this straight, for by grace are you saved through faith. But we are biblicists before we're Baptists. Go to a place 
where they have a gospel approach. We are to be stewards of the gospel. We need a generational approach. We need a gospel approach. And thirdly, listen to this, we need a gentle approach. Verse 23 says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I grew up in a generation that a lot of churches took pride in the fact that when we get up to preach, we tear the hide off them every single time. I remember Brother Sam Davidson preaching. He said, I grew up in a church. He says, man, if there wasn't blood in the aisles, he says, I didn't think it was a good sermon. He says, I remember my preaching getting up and saying, if you don't like what I'm saying, there's 14 windows and three doors in this building. You find one and get out. He says, so I tried it. He says, I started pastoring a little church, and I, I started saying, if you don't like what I'm saying, there's 12 windows and there's two doors. You find one to get out. And he says, what, you know what they did? They got out. He says, then I discovered 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetous, God is witness. Not of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children." So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, as a nurse that cherisheth her children. I, I believe with all my heart that there are times where as children of God, we, man, I, I need it. Need, I, I like going to a preacher's meeting every once in a while and getting taken out behind the woodshed. I need it. But I know that when there's a lost sinner in the room, he needs the gospel in love. He needs to see Christ in us. We saw Jesus get angry in the Bible, didn't we? The Bible says he sat right on the steps of the temple and he, he weaved a scourge. And he went and he threw out the money changers twice. He did. He cleansed the temple. He was angry. He didn't mess with the Father's house. It's not wrong to be angry. The Bible says, be angry, but sin not. But when Jesus was dealing with sinners, that was the religious crowd. When he was dealing with the lost, he always loved them. Always loved them. There's the old expression, you catch more flies with honey, and that's what the gospel message is. It's honey for the soul. We need to have a gospel approach. We need to have a generational approach. We need to have a gentle approach. So God gives, God's grace gives us strength to be a steward of the gospel. Number two, we see in this passage tonight, God's grace gives us strength to be soldiers of the gospel. Isn't that interesting that in this passage, he talks about being gentle, about preaching the gospel. And then on the other hand, he says we need to be soldiers. Be soldiers. 
But we need to understand this. A soldier of Jesus Christ is much different than a soldier of any earthly army. A soldier of Jesus Christ takes up a spiritual battle and has a spiritual foe. A soldier of Jesus Christ is not called uh, to take up arms. He's called to stand in the evil day. The sword that we carry is the word of God. It fights our battles for us. The Bible says in the book of Jude, we are to earnestly contend for the faith. The word contend, the word earnestly there uh, means with all of our hearts and contend simply means to stand for it. I will not move. I will not budge. This is non-negotiable. This is a fundamental of the faith. It does not mean to be contentious. It does not say earnestly be contentious for the faith. It says earnestly contend. And I think when we preach, we ought to have passion for Christ. And we ought to get excited about things. But we ought not be angry all the time. I went to a preaching meeting years ago. And we were invited to come. And they were having a week of meetings. And I said, you know what we'll do? We have a church bus. We'll get the bus loaded up. And we'll bring the whole church down on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. We'll come. So I promoted it. So let's go. And so we went. And uh, the, the preacher got in the pulpit, and from the second, the second he started preaching, he screamed at people. I, I don't mean he raised his voice. I don't mean he got passionate. I mean he got angry, and he screamed and screamed and screamed for an hour and a half. Everybody tuned him out. We got on the bus, and I had seniors, and we got a headache. They said that just, he lost all effectiveness because he was just so angry. We have the wonderful words of life. We have the very words of Jesus Christ, and people need to hear them. God gives us grace to be stewards of the gospel. Look at, he gives us grace to be a soldier of the gospel. Look at verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Notice, first of all, as we're talking about being a soldier, we see, first of all, the persistence of a soldier. The persistence of a soldier. In verse 3, we see the perseverance. Perseverance. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Of Jesus Christ. If Paul could say anything to Timothy, he was saying, just keep going. I'm cheering for you. I remember in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is being stoned. And he looks to the heavens and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. And all I can imagine is Jesus cheering him on. Keep going. Endure. It's almost over. You can make it. And Stephen, the Bible says, closed his eyes and fell asleep. Never cried out. Never got angry. Because Jesus was cheering him on. Paul is cheering Timothy on. And he's saying, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I printed off a hymn to bring with me, and I, I didn't bring it. I'm going to look it up as I preach. Endure hardness as a good soldier 
of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. The persistence of a soldier, we are to show perseverance. Listen to the words of this hymn. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help? me on to God. Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. We are to persevere for the cause of Christ. But secondly, as we think about the persistence of a soldier, we are to put off some things. You know what a soldier does? He, he restricts his life. I get a kick out of kids that say, well, I'm just going to Move out and join the army because I'm tired of people telling me what to do. You all know that story. Boy, when you're in the military, they, they take everything. They strip you down to bare minimum basics and they build you back up. I remember a young man going off to boot camp. He had finished one year of Bible college. He wanted to get a Bible certificate. Then he was going off to boot camp in Springfield, Missouri. And he went over to Fort Leonard Wood and... Uh, you know, when he went, he, he looked like a boat I do. But he was determined. He wanted to be in the military. And I'm telling you, when he came back, he was, just three months later, he lost 60 pounds in three months. He was thin. He was fit. And he just caught by the campus to visit everybody. And we couldn't believe what we saw. He says, let me tell you. He says, they take everything. He says, they strip you down. Notice what the Bible says in verse 4 of our text tonight. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I'm not going to turn there tonight for the sake of time, but Colossians chapter 3, the Bible tells us to put off the old man according to the affections of the lust, and we are to put off and put off and to put off. And there are several things he says we are to put out of our lives, uh, evil speaking and all these things that, that are harmful to the cause of Christ. We are to put them out of our lives. Then we are to put some other things back on. What is he saying there? Like a soldier, we are going to shed some things for your life, and then we're going to build you back up godly in Christ Jesus. The Bible says this in the book of Ephesians as Paul writes again, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so the persistence of a soldier, he is to persevere he is to put off some things but then we see in verse 9 he's to endure persecution sometimes a soldier will suffer but sometimes he suffers when he's done no evil 
In verse 9, he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Paul is coming back again. It's more important that I'm a steward of the gospel than I have my freedom. And so we need to understand that in this life, there may be suffering, but we are to be persistent. and We are to persevere. But then I want you to see in verse 10, the purpose of a soldier. We see the perseverance. God is giving us grace to be a soldier. And he says, first of all, we need to be persistent now. He says, I want you to understand your purpose. Verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Here's two purposes of a soldier. Number one, for the gain of lost souls. For the gain of lost souls. Paul said, if, if I have to eat meat and it offends you, I'll never eat meat again. That I might win some. I made all things to all men that I may gain some. We're so concerned about our rights and our preferences and our freedoms. Paul says, I'm not worried about any of that if I can see some souls saved. For the glory of the gospel and for the sake of lost souls, he says in verse 10, he says, therefore I endure all things. I'll put up with anything. Isn't that what all means? I'll put up with anything. I'll endure anything. For the elect's sake, that they might be saved. They might obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. And so, why? what is the purpose of a soldier? It is the gain of lost souls. Number two, the purpose of a soldier is for the glory of a loving Savior. Look what it says in verse 11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he can deny himself. Paul saying, hey, it's not about us, it's about him. It's for his glory, and for his sake. So the purpose of a soldier is for the gain of lost souls and for the glory of a loving Savior. But notice thirdly tonight and finally tonight, God's grace gives us strength to be stewards of the gospel, to be soldiers of the gospel, and thirdly, to be set apart for the gospel. This gospel only works if we live it. The gospel only works if we live it. You say, well, the gospel, it's, it's powerful. It is. Oh, we should, we should be, uh, just preach the gospel and people get saved. The power of God comes over. Yeah, I agree. But there's something about a life that is clean that God uses. Years ago, there was a fellow that came to church and I was preaching, and as I was preaching, he'd finish my sentences. I start quoting a scripture. I mean, I could quote from Habakkuk, Zephaniah. You know where that is? That's in the back of the Bible where all your pages are stuck together. That's where that is. And I could quote some obscure verse, and he'd finish the verse. He knew the Bible inside and out. So, wow, what a, what a godly man. He was drunk out of his mind. 
He stood in the back of the service drunk. He wandered in, staggered in, drunk out of his mind. But he could quote the Bible inside out and backwards. Let me ask you, if he's witnessing to somebody on the street, how effective is that gospel? Not very. The gospel works when we live it. Notice what Paul says about this. We are to be set apart for the gospel. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's a choice. The word there, depart, implies a choice that we make. I, I wish the Bible just said, the moment you got saved, I just I totally took you out of iniquity and you will never sin again. Uh, you are 100% sanctified. Uh, boy, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love that? We didn't have to mess with this anymore. Wouldn't it be neat if you could just bow your head and accept Christ as your Savior and open your eyes in heaven? Wouldn't that even be better? Heaven on earth, well, that'd, be, that'd be good. That's not what it says. He says, if you've named the name of Christ, you need to depart from iniquity. There's a choice to be made. If we're going to see the gospel stewarded properly, if we're going to see Christ uh, preached among the, the lost and dying of our community, we must live the gospel. So we must make a choice, but then we see, secondly, a cleansing. Verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. A cleansing must take place. Notice the word he uses there. It is the word purge. Purge. If a man therefore purge himself of these, the word purge means to cleanse. It comes from the root word, listen to this, cathartic. Cathartic or catharsis. It's the same Greek word. Think about that. Have you ever ever done something and after you thought, well, that, that was kind of cathartic. That kind of made me feel better. A purging takes place. Sometimes it's an emotional outlet. Some, sometimes people just, they let out with that cry, that, that pain that is in their heart, and finally they feel better. It was just a few years ago, there was a young man in the school, and he was struggling. We weren't sure what was going on. He'd always been a good kid. And he began to struggle a little bit. Some kids were coming to complain. So this, this kid's just, just kind of always conflict, and he's fighting, and he's pushing, and he's just, there's just something wrong. And so I, I finally had to call his parents, and I said, listen, I don't know what's going on, but I said, this young man's struggling. And he had had a cousin that had died tragically. And I said to the to the to the dad, I said, now the kids are saying this has been going on since this time, whatever. And I said, when, when did his cousin die tragically? And his dad turned white and he goes, right when you just said. I went, oh boy. I said, would you be okay if I talked to him? He said, sure. 
I called the boy down one day and I said, hey, I said, your dad says it's okay if I talk to you. And I said, how are you doing with this dealing with your cousin and all this? And he busted out weeping. And he wept and he wept and he wept. And we talked and we prayed and we, from that day forward, there was never an ounce of trouble. He was just brokenhearted. He didn't know how to deal with it. He was just a kid. That's what the word catharsis means. That purging, that getting it out of your heart and your life and your system. And he says, if any man purge himself of these, then you're a clean vessel. God can use you. You know, we, you know what a vessel does? A vessel holds stuff. That's what it's meant to do. And sometimes we are pretty good at just holding stuff in, aren't we? Now, I'm not saying I want Brother Kevin to come up here and start crying on my shoulder tonight. That's not what I'm asking. But I'm saying we hold on to a lot of garbage in this life. A lot of things that are just bottled up, whether it's sin, whether it's sorrow, whether it's shame, whatever it might be. And if we can somehow just give that to the Lord, purge ourselves of these, then we can be useful for Christ. A clean vessel. And notice what it says. There are some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purges himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. It goes right back to the first thing I was talking about tonight. If we're going to be stewards of the gospel, we must be set apart for the gospel. Meet for the master's use. There's a spiritual relief in the cleansing of sin. You know, it is impossible to live the life that God has planned for us apart from the strength of his grace. God has this vision for your life. He wants you to be, men, he wants you to be one of those faithful men that will go and teach others also. Ladies, he wants you to be godly in Christ Jesus that you might exhort and teach the young ladies to do the same. Paul said this, we, we, cannot, we cannot do this of our own. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We need his grace. We need the strength of his grace. Ephesians chapter 6 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. All of our strength comes from him. I'm hoping and praying that Bethel Baptist Church will be a church that has a 200th anniversary. I'm praying that it'll be a church that has its final anniversary services right before Jesus returns. That we'll be faithful right to the end. But that won't happen without his grace and the strength that it gives. Each of us tonight need to examine ourselves and say, God, are are we what we ought to be? Because here's the thing. It's not about this brick and mortar. And it's not about a group of people meeting. Each one of us are members of the church. And each one of us have to decide, I'm going to be a clean vessel. I'm going to be a steward of the gospel. I'm going to invest in some young people. I'm going to try to help somebody along the way.
It was exciting this morning to me. One of the most exciting things that, that, I, that I see in ministry is this. It's when somebody gets saved and then they bring somebody else to church. That, that's cool. That's really neat. We, there, was, there was a time not too long ago where we had, we had one family come. I, I can't remember the order anymore, to be honest with you, because they're all come. Krista Briggs and Tina and, and all these ones. They all brought each other. They all brought each other to church. Or not Tina, Tiffany and, and, and Melissa. And they, and they all started inviting their friends to church and it just kept growing. And Sue, you were part of that too. And you were another one that got invited by your friends and just one friend got saved and another, then another, then another. Praise the Lord. And Herman inviting his brother to church. And then he accepting Christ this morning. Boy, that's wonderful. That's the gospel at work. But we must be stewards, and we must be soldiers, and we must be set apart. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight, we pray. Speak to our hearts. Help us to be that church, ever perpetuating the gospel, ever moving forward for Christ. The Lord, will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. In my life, Lord, be glorified. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. Would you come even now?